0: Hey, my name is Parker Manuel, pastor of Pinewood Church in Boulder, Colorado, where our mission is to meet people where they are and point them to Jesus. Hope you enjoy today's podcast. Thank you so much. Let's dive into the word, John chapter 9. We're working through the book of John. I accidentally titled uh, this series that we're going through in my notes, The Book of God, which I don't know, maybe the book, oh, this is God's book. Uh, Yeah, but the actual book we're studying (laughs) is the book of John. Title of today's message is I was blind, but now I see. And we're looking at John chapter nine. And, you know, we're just going to cover the whole thing together. We're going to systematically work through this passage together, which I think is fine. Let's work through it take a little extra longer, but that's great. I'm excited. This is the sixth sign, sixth sign that Jesus has performed. These are miracles, but they're also signs. What does a sign do? Points to something else. And so this is what this miracle is doing. It's a sign that's pointing towards something else. This was happening during what was called the Feast of Dedications or Festival of Lights. There's a lot going on uh, around this miracle. The overall theme of the gospel of John is belief. And John himself pens this in John chapter 20, verse 31, when he says, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So all of the stories, all of the things we're talking about are so that you might believe. So if you're here and you don't believe, then my prayer is that as you hear this passage and learn about Jesus, today would be the day where you take your first step to believe. If you believe already, then let this passage, this text, build your faith even more. All right. First thing that we see in the first 12 verses is that there was a miracle. It was a miracle. Let's read this together, starting in verse 1. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, answered, this came about so that God's work might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am, this I am statement of Jesus, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he left, washed, and came back, seeing. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said, he's the one. Others were saying, no, but he looks like him. It's his doppelganger. Then how were your eyes open? He said, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So when I went and washed, I received my sight. Where is he? They asked. I don't know, he said. So the story of a blind man who is blind from birth, who Jesus shows up on the scene, he sees them and he heals them. Now, something that we know about the gospel of John is that we've all, this is the sixth miracle. We're studying through a lot of these signs and wonders of Jesus and miracles, but we don't know all of them. The Bible actually says that if we were to recount all of these stories, it would be too much to fit into a book. Now, granted, the internet wasn't existed then. So now I guess maybe we could fit it all. But in a book, it would be impossible because there were so many. And this man was blind, which presents an incredible challenge. When you can't see, it affects your direction. It affects, you know, how you perceive the uh, environment around you. Uh, there's a lot of tripping. There's a lot of stumbling. And it really is a incredible impediment on your life. I know this to be true. I was just uh, the other night. I got up in the middle of the night to go to the restroom. This is, this is information that maybe may not need to know, but This is a typical thing, especially the older you get, it's just common, okay? I got up to go to the restroom, and right when I walk into the room, you know, there's never anything between the corner of my bed and the toilet. It's always a clear path. So no need to turn on lights, no need to wake anybody up. I start walking as I always do, and my toe comes colliding Was something very hard and it was incredibly painful. Somehow between the time that I went to bed and the time that I woke up in the middle of the night, there was a black stool, heavy stool, right in front of the toilet that came colliding with my big toe and I went crashing down in the middle of the night, weeping. Okay, this is the same. No, I didn't cry. I wanted to cry. Maybe I did, but I was in excruciating pain. This is the reality of something like when you're blind, when you can't see, it is incredibly challenging to navigate life. The same is true, and we're gonna see this principle kind of throughout, is when you are spiritually blind. There's a lot of challenges that that presents itself, but God meets us in that moment, and he heals us, and he restores us. This is what he does for this man. Starting in verse one, the very first thing that I see in this text it says that as Jesus was passing, the blind man saw him. The blind man reached out to him. No, as he was passing, he saw the blind man. Now, let me, let me go ahead and paint the full picture of what's happening here. This is a picture of the gospel. Not that we were kind of wandering around and then we saw God and said, yeah, that's the best option but that we were so blind. Scripture even says we were blind to even our own sin. It's not that we couldn't even see the solution. It's that we were so blind. We couldn't even see the problem, but the gospel is that Jesus saw you. Jesus came to you. Jesus drew near to you and Jesus drew you to him. This is called in the big theological picture. This is the sovereignty of God. He came after me. He rescued me. Says in John 6, no one comes to me unless the father who sent me draws him in and I will raise him up on the last day. When I was a beggar, he saw me. When I was hopeless, he saw me. When I was blind, he saw me. This is the inten- intentionality and this is the love of Jesus. So if you're saying nobody sees me, Jesus sees you. I'm always overlooked, I've always been overlooked. Jesus sees you. I'm too much of a mess, nobody wants to be my friend. Jesus sees you in your mess and he wants to be your friend. Jesus loves you. This is who he is. The disciples then ask an interesting question. What do they say? Who sinned, this man or his parents? There has to be some sin connected as to why this man is born blind. This is a more of a theological idea than a physiological idea. This is more of them having kind of a theological concept wrongly and misinterpreted that if you sin, you would say it's, you could even sin in the womb to, uh, for this to happen to you, that it resulted in some type of physical infirmity in your life or some type of physical challenge had to be a result. It was either your parents or it was, you, And this is a belief in Judaism at the time. But this is not true of the Bible. So this is them misinterpreting a few passages. You can go down this road and study it if you want, but I'm not going to linger here. This is them misinterpreting Exodus 20, verse 5, Numbers 14, 18, and Deuteronomy 5, 9. They misinterpreted these passages to mean something that it doesn't actually mean. But Jesus uh, gives the truth in Luke 13, 2, 3, and 2 Corinthians 12, 17, and Galatians 4, 13. If you're taking notes fast, and you want to go down that road, you can study that some other time. But they misinterpreted what this means. Now, this is good news for somebody here. Because exactly what they were doing to the man is exactly what we do to ourselves, and it's exactly what we do to other people. And this is from both ends. Let me explain this out. When something bad happens to you, could be a disease, could be, you know, a losing of a job. Do you think, was your first thought, well, it was the sin in my life. Now, I'm not talking about you going out and getting drunk and getting a DUI saying, well, that wasn't the sin in my life. No, that was all you, okay? That was 100% you. Yes. But you getting something outside of your control and you're saying, this is a result of my sin. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. It's not a result of their parents or his sin in the womb. That's not what this is about. This is for my glory. We also do that. We do this not only with ourselves, but we do this for other people as well. Anybody ever had the thought, why are they so prosperous and healthy and they're such scumbags? You know? Anybody ever had that thought? All right, yes. If you haven't, you, might, you may be lying. Okay, I think we've all had that thought at some point. It's just like, why would God allow that person to prosper? But then the opposite of true is when something does bad does happen to somebody, we might have the thought, oh, well, I wonder what's really going on in their life. So from any of the angles, you become a judge of what you think the sin is going on in their life. What if instead... As Jesus did, we flipped the script to say, how is God revealing his glory in that person in this moment? Because that's what Jesus said was happening here. He said, no, this is so that I might reveal my glory through him. So wasn't that it was his parents and wasn't his sin, <clears throat> but Jesus had a higher perspective. Now let's look at the method of the miracle. He spit on the ground. He took some mud in with his saliva and he put it on the man's eyes. Now, I do not recommend that the next person that you meet that has eye issues, <clears throat> you say, man, come over here. Do I got a plan for you? <laughs> that is, man, just very practical teaching. Don't do that. Please don't do that. That would, that would not be good. So makes me ask the question, then why would Jesus do this? Why would Jesus spit on the ground? And every time Jesus does a miracle like this, i try to do as much digging as possible to see what people think as to why, because he doesn't tell us. And so I try to figure out what is the best possible reason. And just tell you right now, I don't know. And nobody knows. I'm going to present a few ideas and then you can come up with, you know, maybe what you think as to why. Some might say that uh, he was trying to demonstrate the healing properties of saliva. I think that's probably the most ridiculous of all of them. So I'll start with that one. I do not believe that that is the case. All right. Maybe this is the most ridiculous. Some some suggested it was to make it worse before it got better. That was one of the commentaries. Yeah, thanks. I was like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't read this commentary, you know. How do you make blindness worse? He's, he already can't see through his eyes. It's just, that's a, that's a bad explanation. Some say it was to make it messy, to create a mess on his face. And then that was a, a picture of salvation that though he was blind, there's a mess. And then you go wash it. Now he's clean. I don't think that's it either. Uh, and then the other kind of alternative idea that maybe makes the most sense is that it was a picture of dirt and it was a call back to creation. And in creation, we see the fall of humanity, which was the dirt. But then we see, uh, which we see him going to the pool of Siloam, uh, which means sin. This is the place that was recognized as God's provision and God's peace. So it could have been that this is a representation of sin and then he goes to the pool this is a rep- representation that jesus is the only peace and that jesus is the only hope that's also possible but you know what nobody knows and that's okay i like living in the mystery and trying to figure that one out but either way jesus did this and the man was healed <laughs> let's be honest it could have just been to confuse the pharisees whenever they said how did it happen i don't know there was mud there was a pool and the Pharisees like. He did it again, man. He's just like always tripping us up. That's my personal favorite: is Jesus tripping up the Pharisees, which I love that he does that. Also, um, we see the archaeology. I think this is fascinating for the history family in the house today. People would dispute whether or not the Pool of Siloam even existed. They would say, you know, we we haven't seen it. We don't know. But back in 2004, they discovered. Pool of Siloam. We have a picture of it as well. I really want to travel here and I really want to see this. It's beautiful. It's thought that, and there's a rendering that we have as well. It's thought that the Pool of uh, Siloam, there it is, was up to over 1.25 acres big. That it was just this really beautiful giant pool where people would go and they would bathe. It was a source of hope. Uh, and it was also a source of protection because it traveled in an underground tunnel so that it could prevent, so that they could have water even against, against you know, warfare and battles, but the pool of us alone. Even if we don't, when we read the scripture, I love whenever we read the scripture and we see stories like this, we, it could, we could easily think, okay, that's a cool story. That's a cool idea, but the Bible is our history. It is the most trustworthy documents that we have to understand where we come from and what has gone on in the world. Thousands and thousands, over 28,000 ancient manuscripts that confirm that these things are real. It's just a matter of whether or not we're discovering these things or not, Um, but doesn't doesn't shake the fact that it's true. All right, next, let's look at the testimony. Going to keep moving on. And this is the testimony of the man that was born blind and it was healed. This is when he was uh, brought before the Pharisees. Let's start in verse 13. They brought the man who, who used to be blind to the Pharisees. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was on the Sabbath. Love this. Then the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes. He told them, I washed and I can see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was a division among them. Again, they asked the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet, he said. The Jews did not believe this about him. That he was blind and received sight until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. They asked them, is this your son? The one you say was born blind. How then does he now see? We know this is our son and that he was born blind his parents answered but we do not know how he now sees and we don't know who opened his eyes ask him he's of age he will speak for himself his parents said these things because they were afraid of the jews since the jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as the messiah he would be banned from the synagogue this is why his parents said if he's of age he is of age ask him so the second time they summoned the man Who had been blind and told him give glory to god we know that this man is a sinner he answered whether or not he's a sinner i don't know one thing i do know i was blind and now i can see then they asked him what did he do to you how did he open your eyes again which is why you know maybe this is just jesus playing with the pharisees here i already told you he said and you didn't listen why do you want to hear it again You don't want to become his disciples, do you? Okay, I'm going to pause right there. I love, love, love the scrappiness of this man. This is before Pharisees. This is in public. And he's saying, wait a second. You're trying to gather this information because you want to be his disciples as well? Woo! Spicy. They ridiculed him. You're that man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciple. We know that. Doesn't this sound like a middle school argument? I'm his friend. You're his. You're in that group. I'm in this group. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. Although they did. This is an amazing thing, the man told them. You don't know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. Again, I love this guy. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. I also love that he is speaking to them in theological terms. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. You were born entirely in sin, they replied, and you were trying to teach us. Then they threw him out. How much do you love the Pharisees in this moment, man? Rejecting the very miracle of what happened undeniable and them themselves even acknowledging that it happened but yet still rejecting because of their anger and hatred towards God towards Jesus here we see yet again Jesus healing on the Sabbath I think this was Jesus favorite day to heal I think he waited for the Sabbath he's like here it comes again I'm gonna find somebody here this is really gonna make the Pharisees upset Why? Because the Pharisees loved law. And this was a reference back to Exodus 20.10 that speaks to the commands of taking a Sabbath. But what the Pharisees did is they added to the idea of taking a Sabbath. Sabbath is not for God. Sabbath is for man. They added to that rules and regulations. Over 31 to be exact. And one of those being you cannot heal on the Sabbath because it's technically considered work. So Jesus doing this on the Sabbath was him breaking the law of Moses in their minds, even though it wasn't, this was their law, not God's. God is the perfect law. He came to fulfill the law. He does not break his own law, but it made them so angry. He said they cannot come from God. A principle that I want to see here that I'm not going to linger on. Jesus always chose people over man-made policy. Always. In this instance, you have man-made policy, man-made law. Jesus says, forget all that. We're meeting the needs of the people. We're helping. We're being a blessing. We're serving. That's what we do. So when, even, even whenever you say on a Sabbath, it's like, no, it's, it's a me day. True, yes, it is for you refreshing. But that does, that does not mean that you don't love people. You don't serve people. You don't bless people. You don't heal people. People over policy. The interaction with the parents, man, these are just, man, these parents needed to be at the parent dedication, man. These, these are some of the just, uh, these parents really get under my skin. These are just bad parents. Why would I, why would I say that? Well, a couple of reasons. One, this man was begging when the parents should have been helping to provide for him and nourish him, to guide him, to lead him. But the parents were absent. First thing that you notice from the the text. The second is when they are confronted with the Pharisees, they go into what is called self-preservation mode or fear. They're willing to throw their son under the bus so that they might maintain status. How, where is the love in that? Hey, he's of age. Go talk to him. I mean, yeah, he was blind and yeah, we're his parents, but that's all we're holding on to. The rest is on him. Because of fear of status and a fear of what others might think of them, they chose to throw someone else over the bus, under the bus. How much different are we than them as followers of Jesus? How often do we fear what people are going to think about us? Or if I stand up for what I believe, this is going to negatively affect my career. Or if I speak out for what I believe, this is going to negatively affect my bank account. Or what if I tell somebody about Jesus, it's going to negatively affect my relationships. No different. It's self-preservation. It's how can I preserve what I have and what people think of me versus actually believe, actually say what I believe and be who I really am. God is calling us to stand up like the man who was healed, not to be like the parents who went into self-preservation mode. It's calling us to have faith, not fear, to be courageous, not cowardice. Ask him, they said. So then we have the contrast of the cowardice of the parents, but the courage of the man that was blind, touched by Jesus, transformed. Literally the fibers of his eyes just restored in a moment. When when he was pressed, he said, whether he's not a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I can see. This is what's called a testimony. What I do know of him is this. He's a prophet, and I was blind. I did what he told me to do, and now I see this is my story. Ask me however you want. You're going to get the same message every time. But how? But what? What? just as the Pharisees are infatuated with the method of the miracle and not the person of the miracle. I think we can become infatuated too, infatuated with that as well, man, you saw somebody that was healed. How did it happen? What did you do to see it happen? Wrong question. Who did it? It was Jesus. You were pulled out of addiction. How did you do it? Wrong question. It's not a what. It's a who. It was Jesus. I didn't understand my identity. It's not a what. How I found friends. It's not a what. How my marriage was restored. It's not a how. It's a who. It's a person. His name is Jesus. So the Pharisees are infatuated with the method. How did he do it? That way we can really know if this is like, if he's doing the right thing, doing the wrong thing, he's just trying to figure it out. And they say, no, 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 wrong question. It, it was Jesus. The who? He's the only one that can do it. And then in the last part of this, we see the consequence of standing up for what God has done in your life. When Jesus steps into your life and he changes your life, and he transforms you, or he does a miracle in your life. Amazing, huge benefit to your life. When he saves you, when his grace washes over you, and you are no longer hopeless, destined for hell, but you are headed to heaven in the presence of God, completely redeemed, completely restored, great benefit to you. Great grace, amazing grace. When you are lost, you're now found. When you're blind, you can now see. Although, Although there is significant benefit to you stepping into the goodness and the grace of God, that does not mean everything is going to be easy. On the complete contrary, although you get an abundance of great blessing and you get overwhelming, unimaginable benefit from the saving grace of Jesus Christ, things might actually get a little harder for you. You're like, that doesn't make sense. Well, let's look at the life of this man. He stands up for what he believes. And what do they do with him? We read this. If we read this kind of like a glossary read, we could just see they threw him out. Oh, big deal. They threw him out of the synagogue. No, no, no. That's not actually what this is saying. He was excommunicated. Like can't come back, like kicked out like done, like everything that you've known, you're done. The place of worship where you would come to worship, you can no longer come here. There is great sacrifice when you say yes to Jesus. And it comes with a consequence. Even just thinking about Everyone that's involved in this story. You had confusion from the disciples. You had skepticism from the neighbors. You had unbelief from the Pharisees and ridicule. You had self-preservation from the parents, but you had acceptance and love from Jesus alone in this story. Acceptance and love. Not just for round one, you see acceptance and love in round two. What do I mean? Let's look at what happened after he was excommunicated from all he had ever known. And that's in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out. And when he found him, he asked, do you believe in the, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He ans- he asked, Jesus answered, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. What does he say? I believe Lord. He said, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, I came into the world for judgment in order that those who do not see me will see, and those who do not see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees were, who were with him, heard these things and asked him, we aren't blind too, are we? If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sinned. But now that you say, we see your sins remain Jesus accepted him as he was as a beggar, born blind, received him, he restored him. And then we see him excommunicated from his community, all that he had ever known. And then Jesus finds him a second time. And the second time that he finds him, he says, do you believe in the son of man? And he says, well, if I knew who he was, then I would. And he said, I am he. He said, then yes, Lord, I believe. So in this story, you see when he's asked of who Jesus is, he says he's a prophet because that was all that he knew. Then you see the transition to Jesus saying, I am the Messiah. And him saying, then I believe that you are who you say you are. A point that I see from this is that for, for many of you, you have seen Jesus perform a miracle in your life but you have yet to make him Lord of your life. You have seen great biblical community around you and you know that there's something special there, but you've yet to make him Lord of your life. I see that he's a prophet. I don't yet know that he's Lord, but I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the son of God. Jesus is God sent from heaven living a perfect life, dying on a cross for your sins, being raised from the dead and alive now at the right hand of the father. And he is calling you in. He's drawing you in. He's saying, what more do I have to do for you to believe? I've died for you. What more must I do? But God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is how you make him Lord of your life. Now, did this man know much more about Jesus other than the fact that he healed him of of his blindness and that he said that I am the Messiah? You may be here and you may be saying, but I don't have all of the answers to the Christian faith. Welcome to the family. Neither do I. I don't even know why he made it mud. You know, I've studied this passage for weeks and I don't know why he made it. I don't know all of the answers and I don't have all of the answers. Nor do I think we should have all of the answers. I think there's something, would it be God if we could articulate everything there is to know about him? No, he's infinite. He's mysterious. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So no, I may not have all of the answers, but one thing that I do know, I was blind but now I can see one thing I do know. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was hopeless, but now I have hope. My hope, my prayer is that today would be the day that you say yes to Jesus to experience sight for the first time. So what is going on in this passage? This is a big picture. The man was blind. Now he can see what is the bigger story. What is the bigger, uh, metaphor that Jesus is trying to teach us here is that we were all prior to saying yes to Jesus spiritually blind. Not only could we not see the truth, we could not truly see our sin, but when Christ comes, he removes the scales. And for the first time we can see I'm a sinner. I actually have sinned against the Holy God. That God is real and he's perfect and he's holy and I am not, I can see that for the first time I was spiritually blind to my own sin. Now I can see it now that we see it through the power of the Holy Spirit. He draws us in and he helps us see that Jesus is the way Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. John fourteen seven. nobody comes to the father except through me. He's the only way guys. There's no other way, but Jesus. Hey, thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more, or if you'd like to join us on a Sunday, head on over to pinewoodboulder.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. And if you'd like to be notified every time we post new content, then subscribe. And remember, just keep coming back.